0: Our modern Western culture places little to no value on the power of our nightly dreams to inspire, shift, and reorganize our lives. This podcast demands a deep reconsideration of the role dreams play on our path to a more vital and meaningful life. The following is living proof of the life-affirming power of dreams to affect change and redirect the trajectory of our inner and outer lives. These are the dreams that shape us.
1: Sowing seeds for the harvest. The title of this episode of the dreams that shape us captures the essence of the fascinating dream shared by our special guest, artist Brenda Ferrimani. It's a dream that reached far through time after she experienced it to help her bear the best fruit of her life and heal her relationship with her daughter. It's another dream we offer as proof that dreams are meaningful and worth every bit of time and attention we give them. Another dream that busts the myth that dreams are meaningless and not worth bothering with. Sowing seeds also captures the season, as we record this episode in the autumn of 2020, after a year that scattered us like seeds looking for new soil to grow in. For some of us, it meant the loss of jobs and education and opportunities, and for others, it meant the loss of health, livelihood, even life. It meant epic changes in the world, and changes produce the seeds of future growth. For almost all of us, 2020 has meant more time away from life as usual, more time for introspection, more time for sleeping, For those of us fortunate enough, and that means more time for dreaming, too. In those dreams, sow the seeds that grow and blossom if they find a willingness in you to tend them and create fertile conditions in your life, in your mind and heart and spirit. Brenda's dream is like a parable. It's a story meant to help her see things from the perspective of the wise mind that creates dreams and parables. Listen to her story about what she learned and how the dream shaped her life forever afterward. And learn for yourself how you can know the true message of a dream and juice its nectar. I'm your co-host, J.M. DeBoard. I'm going to hand you off to my partner in the dream, Steven Ernenwine, as he interviews Brenda and talk with you again after the interview to drop some tips about how to sit with your dreams. Allow them to speak with you and see them blossom. Uh, thank you,
0: Brenda, for joining me here today. Uh, how, how is everything out there in
2: Colorado? We had rain. And oh, so yeah. that's a blessing because of the fire. We live very oh. close to the fire.
0: Nice. So,
2: very nice today. No complaints. Awesome. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, you're very welcome. That's been a long time coming, I think, for us to have an actual conversation.
2: <laughs> That's true. That's true. I feel I know you, though.
0: Yeah, I know. Yeah, so I think to begin the conversation, what I was going to ask you was, uh, do you remember what season of the year it was that you had this dream?
2: I think it was spring, which is odd, but it, it calls more attention to the autumn scene that uh, yeah it's in the dream. I, it's been very, very long time ago, like over 20 years. Wow. Yeah, it's a very old dream.
0: What season would you say you felt you were emotionally in at that time?
2: Definitely autumn. Yeah. I was in my early 40s, maybe 45, and, uh, you know, entering midlife, which would be autumn, right?
0: Yeah, I would think so.
2: And my children were teenagers and so i was expecting some really good things to start uh coming from all my attention and my caring and you know i i really believed in a harvest that i thought was to be mine
0: yeah 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 and your and so, your dream is't in, in autumn, so that's that's interesting i I was half expecting you to say that just because the dream takes place in autumn. it seemed appropriate,
2: yeah, yeah, I had really high expectations, so yeah, and I remember feeling really disappointed with what was happening in my life, just so disappointed, devastated, actually, so
0: yeah. Yeah, I can imagine, you know, being a a father to a young boy, trying to look forward a little bit. I can see with just how much abuse you take this early in parenthood that by the end of it, um, you could feel pretty ragged.
2: Right. You know, it's such a surprise after having such a good relationship when they're younger and then those turbulent years come and it's, you know, but if I could go back I, I would see that there were red flags and there were problems. Uh, been a part of a religion, a fundamentalist religion, which I actually call a cult, and um, I had left that religion, and it was very traumatic for me, and Children pick up on those kinds of things, and so
0: they—they,
2: yeah. they, my children, seemed to be te- testing me, Mom. What do you believe? What do you believe? And at that time, I believed in nothing, so wow. it, it was very hard. But I uh, took the step. You know, I give myself pats on the back. I took the step to leave the religion because it wasn't. Authentically me, and um, I needed to be free, and I could see that it was causing problems for the family. So, so I think that's what was the backdrop to all of this, and even the subject of harvest is kind of a biblical subject.
0: You know. Yeah.
2: So the seeds that you plant you'll you'll have a return on, you know, uh isn't that one of Jesus's parables, I think, about the harvest? Uh planting seeds and and Yeah, uh, I, can't,
0: I can't quite remember it. I feel like there's something uh, like that.
2: Yeah, it used to be in burned into my psyche and now I can't remember it at all <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, but anyway yeah I, I think that that was really at the core of it all in my conditioning which was not loving you know from mm-hmm. my parents and so uh, which is a big surprise and I think it's a good subject for right now because there are so many people who seem to be moved by Christianity, and yet there's no love there, you
0: know? Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting how Christian establishment has just rallied so hard behind Trump. It's just baffling.
2: Yeah, and and the um, harshness, the harsh tone of it, like, you know, yeah. you fall down and you have to get yourself up, you know?
0: There's, mm. Yeah. Well, I applaud you for getting out of that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it was very difficult because in this religion, I'll tell you, uh, we were Jehovah's Witnesses, Okay, and um, you're not allowed to associate with anyone outside the religion, and there's really no graceful way of leaving, because when you leave, you're pretty much shunned by all your friends and relatives. So it was a really big decision on my part to to do that and wow. you know, loving my sisters and my parents the way I did it was a very hard thing to do but I I could see that I needed to do it to be true to myself
0: do you have any contact with your family anymore
2: not anymore no wow
0: mm. yeah I actually so I-
2: I actually traumatic. listened
0: to a podcast recently that talked about them, and yeah, the woman who was talking about it said the same exact thing, that they, they just completely shut you out, and I was just, just floored by how intense that is. That's...
2: Yeah, the only two ways of getting out is to do something to be disfellowshipped or to leave and... In- You're sort of self-shunning then, you know, because we'll we'll be allowed to associate with you. So, Uh, yeah, it was a really big decision.
0: Yeah, I see that. Wow. Crazy.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it was hard on the whole family. It really was. And I think all my dreams have an element of that in them. And, uh, you know, it's something I keep working on. This dream in particular keeps opening. I don't see a collective layer of meaning in the dream, uh, except for what we just indicated. You know, the the uh, far right Christian element, that kind of. Mm-hmm. I, I so I don't know if it really qualifies as a big dream, but. It was well, luminous, and it, it it was very big for my spiritual development, psycho-spiritual development.
0: For sure, yeah. I don't. I I wouldn't necessarily discredit this as not being a big dream because I mean it. It sounds like, based on what I read, uh, the write-up that you gave me. I, I mean, that to me is, feels like a massive dream. <laughs> so.
2: Well it, it really got me on the on the right road that I wanted to be on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it did give me it opened me that's all I can say. it really opened my heart and allowed me to feel the grace of um, radiance, you know love radiating, even though I was in a very difficult time.
0: yeah. Cool. All right. Well, why don't we uh, finally let the listeners in on what this dream is all about. Okay. So uh, if you want to just take it from the beginning, we'll uh, we'll see what we got going here.
2: Uh, The dream I want to share with you is called Teenage Scavenger, A Lesson in Love. In the dream, I'm transported to a place high above the clouds. And the land here is arrayed with all the brilliant colors of autumn. I see people, workers in the field. It's a beautiful autumn setting with a small farmhouse at the end of a road. And I take this road, I go up to the porch and I'm greeted by an angel. And that angel shows me the harvest in several different scenes and there seems to be a lot of fruit and she offers to share some fruit with me and we sit on the front porch of this farmhouse. Every piece of fruit that we open to my surprise is empty and one in particular has teeth marks inside and even silverware and so I know that the the person that had devoured the fruit was human. (laughs) And uh, the the angel at that time said, I'm sorry, but we've been having trouble with teenage scavengers. And so I sit there disappointed. And at the same time that I have this realization, I hear inside the house in a dark place, a young woman crying. And that young woman is my daughter. Wow! And that's the end of the dream.
0: That's such an amazing dream. It really is. So, to begin with, a uh, kind of piecing away at what this uh, means for you. Can you just give us like a kind of like a brief overview of how you interpret this dream?
2: Well, if when I first had the dream, I of course, as many people do, applied it to the reality I was experiencing at that time, and I was having a lot of trouble with my teenage daughter. She was running away, and uh, she was into drugs and alcohol and, and uh, sex and living very dangerously, and it was very upsetting. We thought she was really in some... <sighs> Uh, in a dangerous situation we feared for her life and so i was i wanted to apply it literally Mm -hmm. to my situation and i had been saying to myself as i sat in my misery is this my harvest is this what (laughs) i'm getting out of all all of my hard work i know why would she do this to her mother you know how parents are why would you do this to me and it felt like a punishment to me i felt like a victim yeah so that was the initial uh take on the dream and i think that's a big mistake for dreamers to do that because there's so much richness in it and it and it usually it always has something that has been deeply unconscious that wants to come to the surface. So that takes a little time, a little effort to go a little deeper with that.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think think you had said that you hadn't even really been diving into dream work too fully at that point.
2: No, I I didn't. I barely knew Jung. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea that this was a, uh, an area that was really being explored by lots of different groups at the time, and I had no idea. I had no idea what projection was.
0: Yeah, I, I feel like uh, even, even a few years into doing dream work, it's still hard to really fight the temptation to look at the dream solely at the kind of, I don't know, the exterior world like how it, how it relates and overlaps with your waking life versus mm-hmm. how it's talking so poignantly about your own inner life. Right. Uh, so yeah. I, I think based on when you had this dream in your dream working practice, I think uh, it's pretty impressive that uh, you did end up leaning in and kind of uncovering more of the internal aspects of this dream.
2: Yeah, that's why I call it a big dream, because it lingered, yeah. and it, it wouldn't leave me the imagery, the total feeling, the emotional state I was in. And I just yeah. kept hearing my daughter cry and knew that there was something that could be done. I don't know why. I I felt that there was something that I could do. That the dream had a message for me, so I kept sitting with it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. I, I, I this dream uh, feels very powerful for me too. So I, I can just imagine how it would just continually kind of gnaw at you. I can, I can totally see how that would, ha- how that would happen. Uh, so to kind of begin to kind of break it up and kind of. I almost just said, uh, <laughs> uh, "Eat the juice out of each of the parts." It's kind of funny. <laughs> <It's
2: appropriate. laughs>
0: um, so yeah, uh, so it begins. You have this beautiful view of fall as you kind of come down to the farmhouse, and I think in the Celtic tradition, fall often has such great connotations for like letting go and grieving and you know saying goodbye to a phase of your life and I feel like the scene being set in fall has such power for that especially for how this dream ends up reshaping your whole perspective on love and your inner self and all that kind of stuff so I thought that was a really kind of interesting. What else do you take away from the setting being in in Autumn?
2: I really uh, enjoy your comment there about letting go. I hadn't thought of that before, and I think that's really appropriate. And uh, it was, you know, a time in my life when my children were about to become adults and leave home anyway. And So feeling already feeling empty nest, Mm, mm -hmm. sort of. But of course every parent wants to see their child leave home happily and it should be a thing that's celebrated. Right. So I it was letting go, but also an opportunity to to welcome something in, I think at
0: the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of opens that space for a whole new thing to happen. Mm-hmm. Nice. So uh, my next question would be, uh, why an angel? I think we, we both know that messengers appear in all forms imaginable in dreams. So why do you think it was so necessary that the dream uh, specifically used an angel here? I
2: don't know. I think... Probably to get my attention, because I was feeling very uh, uh, spiritually starved, and mm. and it made me pay attention to something that would be supernatural.
0: Ah, uh, yes, yeah, nice.
2: Take me into that spirit realm. And it was a, uh, definitely a spiritual uh feel to it and i am a very spiritual person which i didn't realize until i didn't have spirituality in my life and i was yearning for that and so that was kind of a surprise to find out that that i could feed myself spiritually through dreams and and just paying attention focusing in i could feed myself
0: mm. Yeah, and that seems appropriate for the rest of the dream, too.
2: <laughs> yeah, so it was like divine guidance. Yeah. And I, what What's better than an angel to represent the divine?
0: Exactly, yeah. As you started talking about it, it seemed like, you know, who, who wouldn't heed the message of an angel? It's like, uh, I feel as far as messengers go... like they're like the top dogs of the messengers um so i I think the dream definitely really wanted you to be like okay uh obviously there's something super important that is like kind of supernatural and Mm -hmm. carries that that kind of poignancy with it so yeah that's i like that so then, like the next thing that I'm really struck by is is the contrast here, and I, I love when when dreams utilize contrast in this uh, in this format where you, they paint this incredibly beautiful scene where you, I can't imagine anything more leisurely than sitting on a front porch of an old farmhouse in the middle of the country during autumn when it's nice and sunny, and and then you have this incredibly stark contrast of what's happening within the house mm-hmm. and the two are at odds with each other mm-hmm. and i i've had several dreams like this too and it, i'm curious to see uh what your take is on this so as far as like the the outside scene goes um do you experience this aspect of the dream as kind of like what your hope was or your expectations for how you see yourself or how you deserve to feel right now?
2: Well, how, how would you I put had, that had in had your own work? very hard like I had been in the field working. Mm. And you know, this is the thing, it's just coming to me now. Uh, quite often our egos think one thing and spirit yes. thinks something else. <laughs> and you know... There was a light aspect to all the darkness I was going through in my waking life. You know, you're always doing the right thing. You're always on the right path. You're always on your journey. Right. And so I had been doing all the right things. And it had led me to this point that I would learn something amazing about myself. So you could almost see that house as being a piece of fruit. And what was inside it was someone crying and someone in the dark. And so that's like eating yourself, you know, from the inside wow. out, you know?
0: Yes, absolutely.
2: And how we can spoil things for ourselves. So it was a really a, a beautiful realization. And, you know, we shouldn't shun those those times in our lives where... It's so dark and bleak and, and problematic and, uh, you know, full of obstacles. We shouldn't because it's there to teach us something beautiful. And so uh, so this dream for me at that time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's... I hadn't even... That's, that was like such a big... Uh, Kind of poignant way you just described that—that that I hadn't even really considered that the house itself is like a fruit. That's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Wow. Um, yeah, because I, because when I when I was kind of uh, piecing into the contrast here, it kind of was like, you know, is the outer experience, the outside experience, you know, what what you. I don't know you'd have to put this in your own words for me but how you saw yourself or how you expected to feel it is kind of like an ego projection in my mind mm-hmm. um of you know you're what you hoped like the harvest would be for yourself and then mm-hmm. just within the walls of the house so like tech, like big big uh air quotes here within like uh within yourself mm-hmm. uh, there's this other reality that's happening and I, I, yeah, those contrasts that they that the dream holds like that are just so, so wild and profound.
2: But if you think about it, it's the the dark. You know, everything is light and dark. Mm-hmm. The dark part of the dream, the dark, the darkness inside the house with the young woman crying. That that is really the meaty part. That's the right. that's the juicy part of the dream. And where you yeah. come away with something rewarding just from that experience.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. We're going to come back to uh, your daughter in that instance and what that all means for you. So I guess in going with... This idea of what's happening within you. Uh, I read once that the period of your life where you received the least amount of love is kind of where you got stuck. Yeah. And I've always loved this quote because it rings so true for me.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so uh, what part in your life do you feel like you got stuck?
2: Well, definitely the teenage years.
0: Okay. I would have been pretty shocked to hear otherwise because it... right. It seems to spell that out here, and it even gives you a pretty poignant phrase to, to really interface with that wounded part of yourself—the teenage scavenger. I think that's so like poetic and right. so so cool to be able to use that phrase to kind of know how to how to work with it and how to interface with it.
2: Right, and I love it too. It sort of has a sense of humor about it. Yeah, <laughs> and even even the fruit when it was opened, you know, and with a fork and a spoon, silver, of course, like spoiled, right? A spoiled right. child. Um, yeah, that it had like a tongue-in-cheek value to it.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, because I, I know a lot of people in the spiritual community and even in the dream work community, they like to talk about inner child issues. But that's never quite had the same sting to me as like thinking about the wounded teenager because mm-hmm. I, I feel like that's where I got stuck that's definitely where I got stuck um, <laughs> and all the shadow work that I've been doing has <laughs> almost exclusively been focused around those you know four to six years surrounding that that time period Right. so that's why this dream when we when you first shared it with me I was like yeah Yeah, that definitely uh, pings a lot of things for me as well.
2: Right. Well, I was an artist, but that, uh, you know, from birth, and uh, it wasn't really recognized in my family. And uh, uh, I wasn't allowed to express myself. And I think that the, the teenage years were really stifling really stifling. I couldn't express myself in anything that I did even in the way I dressed and uh, you know so it would it was a wound that I wasn't being seen or heard listened to and that's a yeah. big thing that comes out of this dream that I should listen, listen to the cries, you know open myself to become a bit be- a better listener
0: in my life. Wow. Yeah. I feel like that is the teenage wound. It's like uh, this deep outcry to be loved and to be heard and to be seen and validated in all the ways that we feel are so instrumental to who we are that are just kind of budding out all of a sudden as we try to create this individualized sense of who we are and... I feel the people that are closest to us, who have seen us grow up. I don't know. Maybe they're they're too close to us that they that they can't see what is emerging at the moment, and they're stuck in you know who we've always been. And mm-hmm. I think there there is like such a tension and such like a, a miss, just a miss on all sides. As far as like
2: (laughs) happen easily. It can really happen easily. And I think parents have expectations for Mm -hmm. the harvest. (laughs) They have they have a certain (laughs) way they want you to grow up. And you know, we deviate from that expectation, don't we?
0: (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Sometimes the only way to have autonomy in that time period is to, is to completely rail against the expectation.
2: Right, right. So, I, you know, I, I was an inner rebel, for sure, an inner rebel, but uh, wasn't allowed to, to really rebel. And my daughter really rebelled, so she got to express herself in a way that had us all stopping dead in our tracks, you know, so.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But it was good, you know, and in the long run, it was a good thing. It woke me up.
0: Awesome. All right, uh, so I guess we'll actually really dive into the fruit at this point. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about uh, maybe... I know we've talked about it a little bit, especially now with the the silver spoon aspect coming out. Uh, but I guess what you're if you can just rehash what your associations are with the fruit itself, and then uh, maybe we could open up some of the worth issues that the image of them having been eaten kind of brings up.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, at the time when I had the dream, I didn't know that. Any of, uh, any of the dream theories that we're pretty familiar with now, like everything in the dream is me. But somehow I knew that. I don't mm. know how, but I maybe it's the artist in me or whatever. But I was just imagining what it was like to be a fruit. And the life of the plants, the way that they have evolved so that they feed. Uh, all the animals' uh, fruit, whether they deserve it or not, they, <laughs> they get the fruit. And that is of, of a benefit to the fruit, because how, how can they grow? How can they continue to grow? How can they live if their seed isn't dispersed? So I was imagining how that felt. And to grow these beautiful fruits, whether they were appreciated or not, was uh, validating to my own life and uh, what was life-giving to me. It was essential to my going right. on if I imagine myself as a fruit. so <laughs> And that's easy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, I love that.
2: So that kind of gave me an epiphany, you know. I I thought, oh my God, fruit has to uh, bear, continue to bear and produce. Whether it's, you know, the soil has to be a, a certain way and has to get sunshine and water and all those things. But it tries its hardest no matter what to continue to bear fruit. And and then I thought, you know, I just feel better when I love. It's mm. like a, a shift. You know, you're feeling miserable. And then if you can get to a place where you can forgive, if you can see something in it that's valuable, if you can feel love and sunshine inside yourself, there's a big shift and the moment I felt that shift, I knew that that was what the fruit meant.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's huge. It's huge because, I mean, you go from this uh, this uh, kind of disappointing harvest to all of a sudden when you... <laughs> God, there's so, many, there's so many funny puns that are just coming out of my mouth. Like, <laughs> you dig a little deeper into the fruit. Um yeah this whole different uh, understanding of you know what it means to love unconditionally and to to bear fruit for the world and for the ones you love in a way that you know
2: even for the ones you don't love right you know because you can't live if you can't bear fruit and uh, that fruit is love and I, I know that about myself. I know that I, I know how unhealthy it is to bear a grudge or to, uh, you know, to have, uh, to feel like a victim, to feel like I've been persecuted or any of those uh, negative feelings. I can't stay there for very long. Yeah. And just feel myself withering up, you know, so like a, a piece of fruit that's just, lingering on the vine you know and um yeah so i i have in order to stay alive i have to love
0: wow beautiful thank you for that um so i think we'll we'll begin to turn towards and have a look at your daughter and kind of unpack uh, how you relate to the image of both the teenage girl and you and and how the dream at once gives you insight into your relationship with your daughter. And I guess to begin that conversation, I I've been listening to this podcast by Esther Perel. Are you familiar with her?
2: No, I'm not.
0: She's she's like a Belgian psychotherapist and she's got this amazing podcast called Where Should We Begin and it basically it's basically a one-time session with a client. I guess that's the way to put it. And so you get to hear this very intimate uh, therapy session. And she's just, uh, she's so brilliant. I can't even, I can't even believe how brilliant she is. But one of the things she continuously comes back to is this phrase that deserving is the entitlement of the deprived. For some reason, that that phrase kind of kept coming back to me as I was reading through this dream.
2: Can you say that again?
0: Yeah, deserving... Is the entitlement of the deprived?
2: Wow, man, does that fit with this dream?
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's like it gives me tingles. It's that's like such a powerful statement. Right. And and like uh, the silver spoon, like seemed to poke at the entitlement that often comes with the teenage aura, like like you had mentioned earlier, and. Mm And then just uh, your your hope for the harvest. Um, I guess how how does that statement land in you as far as its relationship to this dream? We'll, we'll start there.
2: Well, um, I did. You, teenagers do feel entitled, don't they? Uh, in a, a in an egoic way, mm-hmm. I guess, because they. They demand that their needs be met. Their needs, and they—it's it, almost like a—it's everything is so do or die. It's like so urgent, like yeah. uh, it has to be done immediately, even though they've got their whole lives ahead of them. And There's a real impatience to it, and so yeah, it isn't it? In my midlife, stuck in my teenage psyche, <laughs> I was, like, thinking only of myself and how it would make me look. And I mean, th- you, you called attention to the uh, contrast in the dream, the beauty on the outside, and then the darkness on the inside, and... Uh, yeah, I was walking around with a smile on my face and everything was glorious and wonderful, but deep down inside, I didn't feel it. Mm. And, uh, you know, I think that the teenager in me felt uh, deprived, as as in the statement of the therapist, I felt very deprived of... uh, those things that i needed for my ego so that i could look good and and be proud and you know i, I really wanted to have one of those bumper stickers on my car that said my student is a I, my child is an honor student and <laughs> you know
0: yeah.
2: Uh, so yeah all
0: right um I guess to to stay in line with the the idea of deserving for a moment more, the way she kind of talks about it is, if if you're deprived and you do so, and it's kind of like self-inflicted, like maybe you don't feel good enough, and so to to feel like you deserve something, uh, you have to kind of do enough to to feel deserving or to feel entitled to ask for what you need at that point. Mm-hmm. And I know I know for me I've I've struggled my whole life with not feeling good enough and constantly feeling like I have to overperform or over give just to feel worthy of receiving that. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious in your own life how does that work within you like do you do you never allow yourself to receive, or is there a bar that once you reach that bar, you're like, now now I'm entitled. Now you, <laughs> now I'm entitled to deserving something, and I, I expect it at this point. Like how how does that worth issue kind of? Kind I of
2: think, uh, that's perfect the way you put it for yourself. I really identify with that. It's uh, I I've never felt worthy. And actually uncomfortable receiving any attention any gift uh, I'm always the one giving usually and I don't like surprises <laughs> 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 and, and uh, that's another beautiful thing about dream work I, through the years realized that I am a poor receiver mm-hmm. and uh, uh, but, yeah that's a very good point I wasn't Maybe I was braced for disappointment. Maybe I was braced for, uh, deep down inside, didn't feel that I would have a beautiful harvest, even though maybe things were all working out and I just couldn't see it, you know. Mm. Things, you know, for a lifetime of bearing fruit, it, you have to be patient. You have to wait and uh it's hard to see that it is unfolding in the right way.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: But I don't think I felt deserving. No, I always had to work harder and harder and you know. Yeah, I totally get that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it sounds a lot like my fiance, she uh she's just constantly giving, 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 giving and I I try to tell her to stop and you know and give herself a break even like with Luca it's like you know you need time for yourself and she there's always an excuse there's always like a something more that needs to be done before she can finally relax or she can finally uh stop and rest and take care of herself and I think I've gotten better at that but it's still it's such a I almost said disease, but I don't think it's a disease. I just think it's—I uh, don't know what it is. What is it? <laughs> It's—I think it's just something that I have to work with. And uh, right,
2: These there's there's
0: good and we've bad
2: gone forever. I think
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely really beautiful aspects to that, and
2: mm-hmm. it's
0: all just a balance. I guess. I guess that's what it is. It's.
2: Well, as you were saying that, I could just imagine how that that empty fruit that had been eaten from the inside out, how it starts to fill up again. If you just take a little time just to to give yourself some attention and some love, and uh, you can just feel the the flesh of that fruit coming back.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think uh, it also... It brings up these images of voids. and so you think about everything we try to fill fill our voids with to to feel whole, you always end up feeling empty because you're going about it the wrong way that it does have to come from within like you just said it's gotta you gotta feel that feel that uh, that sense of worth and that that acceptance of who you are and, and I think that. I think to, to kind of circle back to the teenage issue, uh, we had talked about there's such an urgency being a teenager and feeling like everything is do or die and it's so intense and I, I have to I don't know, there's just so there's just such such an intensity surrounding that time period and I and I feel that urgency is, is because you still don't quite know who you are at that point. And so the uncomfortability of not feeling like you have arrived just makes you just like so on edge and so so needing to find that that comfort again because I think you're you're transitioning from childhood into adulthood. And so there's that really uncomfortable window of time where you don't have the same unconditional feeling of safety that you did when you didn't have to worry about anything and so now all of a sudden uh there's this just this urgency to arrive and to fill that void I mean we're, we're constantly scavenging for so many things to try to you know, <laughs> soothe that void it really is just such a perfect metaphor and, right yeah and so I think I think you, you do kind of arrive when you learn how to feed yourself and you uh, you kind of slow down and you, you take time for yourself and you realize that that, that experience co- does come from within. That right. Yeah, absolutely.
2: I, I wonder, I mean, if I could do it all over again, I, I, I'm sure that I would try to build and... In my children, an appreciation for a long time, and uh, how, and teach them how to nurture themselves. So you're interested in this, you're interested in that. Well, uh, what about reading this book, or uh, what about going here and spending some time, you know, uh, by yourself in this s- situation, or? try to teach them how they can give themselves attention and some freedom to explore the things that they really are uh, drawn to and a way for them to appreciate nature, too. I mean, nature is all over this dream, and uh, that is such a nurturing thing for any human soul.
0: Right. Right.
2: So, I mean, I, there are probably millions of ways you can do that with a child, but it's something to think about. I'll probably never have that opportunity. again. Yeah, I do have grandchildren, but I don't have much influence over them. But I think you can <laughs> see that, you know, that I spend a lot of time journaling. They see I spend a lot of time creating things and um that t- that time when I'm just free to express myself, and I think that that I think that teaches patience and quietness and calmness in a way. You know that you're not having to go outside yourself and grab at this and grab at
0: that. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, your artwork is so powerful. I feel like your grandchildren, even if they don't really put. Too much of an interest in it yet i, I can only imagine that it, it stirs something in them even if they don't quite know what that is yet right and when, once they finally do start to question those deeper things i'm sure they'll be coming to you like what does grandma know that i don't i had I, i'm kind of beginning to uncover here because the I mean your paintings are so beautiful and so intense that they they evoke they evoke so much feeling that I, I can't imagine them being oblivious to it for long.
2: <laughs> right. Well, I hope it has a uh, a good impact. But uh, I do. I do spend a lot of time in reflection, and I think I was always that person. But what, growing up, I all the emphasis were put on the outer world and appearances and pleasing others. Yeah. And so that did leave me empty. And it's amazing too, being in such a religious family. <laughs> it yeah. seems like a contradiction, doesn't it?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it can for sure I guess uh, to kind of start wrapping this up a little bit in in your blog post about this dream you had made a comment about how you did kind of helped you kind of reclaim a, a, a deeper relationship with your daughter is that correct mhm right uh,
2: because I think that was sort of a a gentle uh, unfolding for my daughter. For me it was a a big change immediately because the wall came down in the dream. So that meant that I wasn't listening. It meant Mm -hmm. that I had put up a barrier. And so, I just began to open myself instead of closing myself off. When she would talk, I would just listen and try to understand it, even though the things that she was experiencing, the things she was into, were very different from my upbringing. And I I would want to judge it, you know, uh, know, like that's definitely wrong, come to some kind of conclusion as she's telling me something. That's the way I was before, and right. I think she could, she could tell I was changing, and uh, yeah, there was a willingness in me after this dream to just quietly listen and reflect back to her, and I think that that gradually caused a better relationship to to develop. It took some time for her to trust me, you know. <laughs> Right, right. So, yeah, it was an, an immediate shift inside me. But I, I don't think we had any one moment where it it all came out because I didn't even share this dream with her until years later, and I wrote an article about it. So,
0: yeah. Wow. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I would I would be hard pressed to imagine there could be a singular moment that could. <laughs> change everything so yeah i mean relationships are so hard and they're just like so hard it's amazing right and
2: oh. you can and you can be listening and not not really listening you know yep. uh, you, you have to listen for the emotion that's in between the words so you you, you have it, it's it's a weird thing, isn't it, with two hearts talking to each other? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it's a, a wordless conversation, but you you just feel it. But you have to be vulnerable, I guess, is the word. And maybe that's the wall coming down. Absolutely. And parents want to be tough. You know, they want to to look resolute to their children, right? and right, they want right. to to appear that they know all and they never make mistakes and this kind of perfect picture to their child when it's actually to the parent's benefit and the child's benefit if you can if the parent can be vulnerable you know just admit oh I'm sorry, I didn't hear you say that. I'm sorry, I didn't understand. I, you know, and just admit that. Oh, I made a mistake.
0: Right. Yeah, I think that was in uh, Esther Perel's podcast. I think that was another one of the more powerful moments in one of the sessions. Uh, she's talking to this father, and he says he never he never apologizes to his son when he when he blows up. And she goes, well, why do you, why do you not apologize if you know you're wrong? And he says, uh, well, I want to make it look like I'm never wrong, and I don't want to lose my authority. And she stops him and she says, uh, well, if you if you come to your son and you say I'm sorry, that was that was all me. That was that wasn't you. Um, you teach your son how to be vulnerable that it doesn't make you less of a man how to be honest with yourself and your emotions how to have integrity how to (laughs) and she like rattles off all these amazing traits that you know he would not have gotten otherwise if if he uh
2: god that's beautiful
0: yeah it instills like so many great lessons um and it just like it blew my mind i was like wow yeah, I we, love
2: that word, integrity, too, yeah. because you show your child that there are things more important than the appearances. There, there are things that you want to be authentic. You want to be true to yourself and higher values. and And so that's a really wonderful, and it takes courage, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: To do that, so. Yeah, it teaches the child so many wonderful things. Even though you might think that you you appear weak, I think it shows strength, and it shows them how to be strong too.
0: Right. Yeah, and it teaches you how to empathize with people. I mean, there's it's just like an amazingly long list of qualities that you're able to instill in somebody if you if you're able to level with them and you're able to take accountability for your part and it's just uh it really is it's a it's a beautiful beautiful takeaway all right so i guess to end this uh interview with you uh i guess uh, can you just uh i guess like briefly in your own words summarize because it was what 20 years ago this dream
2: at least that
1: My daughter
2: is at that autumn stage in her life now. She's 42. And uh, so that's been quite a long time ago.
0: Oh. Yeah, so I guess uh, looking back over all these years, um, could you kind of sum up it's probably beating the horse dead at this point because right. <laughs> I, I think we got the the picture of what just uh, if you could create a nice. We got all
2: the juice out of the fruit, didn't we? <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> exactly. Um, um, yeah, but if you could just uh, sum it up in a nice tidy little statement as far as like how this dream has from that point on kind of reshaped how, how you've experienced yourself And how you've lived your life, I guess
2: Well, I I, I would say that The dream opened me Like the piece of fruit And uh, it, <laughs> it, it, it like uh, Helped me find that Warm place inside me That's always there That's always there And growing up So much emphasis had been put on thinking rather than feeling and uh, you know in fact there are bible verses that say that the heart is a treacherous thing and how it can lead you astray and I really think that I became more heart-based after this dream and I, I really think if we genuinely follow our hearts that there's no mistake in that And that we will be able to love even through difficult times. And we'll be able to love ourselves. So I I learned to love myself or at least find that way toward loving myself. So I'm very grateful for the dream. And it also made me appreciate dreams. Mm. I didn't know at that time just how rich dreams were. And that there was so much to learn from just sitting with the dream and the imagery and the feelings and I learned about projection I learned about all those things a long time before I started studying about dreams and, and joining in with the dreaming community
0: wow well thank you for that that was really beautiful
2: well I've really enjoyed this Stephen
0: yeah thank you me too this was uh, this was very nice we'll have to do this again sometime
2: Okay, I'm all for
0: that. <laughs> yeah, because you have uh, a whole slew of really powerful dreams that hopefully we'll get to talk about. Awesome.
1: Hi, it's your co-host, J.M. Debord. What a dream, huh? Brenda is an inspiration for us to give our dreams attention and care, to ponder their messages and meaning and foster the conditions for growth in ourselves and in our lives. Brenda found within herself a voice that needed her to listen, the voice of a wounded teenager crying, literally crying to be heard. Our dreams are full of such voices that want to be heard, and they reward us when we listen and respond. Every dream symbol is like a picture that says a thousand words, and those words pour forth when you quiet your mind, focus your attention, and walk through the memory of a dream with your heart open and your curiosity piqued. My co-host Stephen and I can attest to the magic that happens when you ask questions such as, what does that part of the dream really mean? Who is that dream character and what does it want to say? And what's new that I can learn? Listening. That's the essential skill for tending to your dreams. Brenda says that she learned from her dream how to sit quietly with her daughter and reflect her back with true empathy to really hear, and not judge, criticize, or get defensive. That's what every dream needs of you as its parent. After all, you are the creator and parents of your dreams, and somewhere inside of yourself, you must know what they mean. You know what they are saying, even if you think you don't know. Brenda demonstrates for us how to sit with a dream and let it speak, how to find its connections with her inner life and outer life, how to decode its symbolic imagery, how to trace the feelings to their source. This is how you use your dreams to sow the seeds for future growth and happiness. Brenda says that joining a dream-sharing community helped her greatly with understanding her dreams better. I suggest that you check out dreams.reddit.com, the largest dream-sharing community on the internet. I'm known as Rad Owl there, and I've been a community moderator since 2012. That experience taught me how to teach the interpretation of dreams simply and effectively. And you can learn this one-of-a-kind knowledge from me at dreamschool.net, the online home for courses in dream interpretation and exploration. I'm the author of the books Rad Owl's Crash Course in Dream Interpretation and the Dream Interpretation Dictionary. My partner in the dream, Mr. Stephen Ernenwein, is known as AQ the Dreamwalker, who brings healing to hip-hop through music he creates and the pearls he shares, inspired by his dreams. That's the letters A and Q, the, and Dreamwalker, one word. Search online to find him at YouTube, Instagram, and his music at Amazon. His album, titled The Night Sea Journey, chronicles his growth as a person and artist it's the nectar he juiced from his dreams and it's delicious you'll hear when you check it out brenda's website is brendaferramanidreamart.com ferramani f-e-r-r-i-m-a-n-i her art is off the hook amazing trust us drop by and check it out Friends, sharing is caring. Share this podcast and help us spread the word that dreams truly can shape us. See you again for the next episode.